Hello, everybody. This is Gary Wilkerson. We're doing the Gary Wilkerson podcast. And again, we have a, a great man of God and a tremendous minister and writer and author, thinker, pastor, Bridgeway Church in, in uh, uh, Oklahoma. And uh, we, we, he was with us a couple of months ago, and we did two uh, episodes uh, about the, God's greatest pleasure in making his glory known. And so we want to have him back on. We're thrilled to have him back with us again today. Sam, welcome. Glad you took taking the time this morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's good to be with you again. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, we're going to be talking about today about the holiness of God. Um, as we've been studying the attributes over the past, probably almost getting near six, six months now, we originally thought it'd be a three-month uh, endeavor, and uh, certainly uh, the attributes of God are much more, when, it, when, when he speaks of the word infin, infinity, the infinite nature of God, we are learning that more and more as we, we study this. And uh, there's one scripture verse I want to just... Uh, uh, start things off with here, and it is um, from Exodus. Let me turn here just a second, sorry. Get started here. I think I have it. Uh, yes, from Exodus um, 15:11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? And that's the uh, it's, it's kind of marrying that attribute of the glory of God with the holiness of God. But uh, I don't want to keep talking because we have a great guest with us. Uh, Sam, let's just dig right, right into this. Tell us, what would you say is, um, how would you describe the attribute of God uh, as, as far as his holiness? What is his holiness like? Uh, what would you have to say about it initially, just in a uh, an overview of it? Well, yeah, uh, there, are, there are actually some who contend that um, when you think about God in terms of the totality of what he is and what he is like, in other words, all of the infinite attributes of God kind of collectively conceived, that would be holiness. And holiness is kind of the overarching, uh, central uh, uh, way in which we conceive of God or describe God when we think about all of his attributes. Um, so I, I've actually seen a number of theologians who, who speak of it in that way. Um, I think the passage you read in Exodus is very helpful because it points to the idea of what we might call the incomparability of God. He's, he's not, he cannot be compared to anything else. There's nothing like him. There's no one who can be, um, uh, who can measure up to his qualities and uh, the magnitude of all of his attributes. So uh, typically, most theologians would speak of God's holiness in terms of, uh, well, at least what I would call his transcendent otherness, um, that he is transcendent above and beyond, obviously, his creation, distinct and set apart from it, and that he is altogether other um, in the sense that uh, we, can't, uh, we can't compare ourselves with him. There's the, the, the difference, the distinction between the creator and the creature is so immeasurably vast that uh, some would say he's in a class hall by himself. Yeah. So I think it is that that's the most fundamental notion involved in holiness um, is that of um, transcendent otherness, uh, the comparable nature of God. Um, so, you know, that, which is one reason I think why, uh, you know, even earlier in Exodus with Ten Commandments, why there is a prohibition against creating any image or likeness unto God, because 
it would obviously be a distortion. It would obviously be a, an insult to him to try to portray God in some manner with a physical object or a painting or a statue or anything of that sort. Uh, that's why Israel was forbidden from doing that, because God is so altogether different from us that, um, that it would be blasphemous to try to um, make a likeness unto him. In what ways is he transcendently different um, than, than us? There, are there, so, when we, so when we are saying to God in, our, in a worship service, holy, 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 we're singing that mm -hmm. song, or the angels we read in Revelation crying, holy, 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 or uh, we read the, this passage from Exodus, that, that your glorious and holiness, what actually is that? Is it, is it like clean living? Is it being nice to people? Like, is, is there a description for it be other than it being transcendent or incomprehensible? Well, yeah, I think it's a lot of those things. Um, most people, if you ask just the average believer, what does holiness refer to? They're immediately going to say right living, you know, because we talk about, oh, we are, you know, first uh, Peter, we are called to be holy as God is holy. Um, well, in the, if you look at that in the context of First Peter, he is talking about righteous living, that uh, living in accordance with the standards that God has revealed in Scripture, uh, uh, justice, purity, um, abstention from sin. Um, and so typically, you know, when people think of the word holy, that's what they think of. They think of someone who is abiding by all the rules of Scripture, um, you know, void of sin. Um but that's only, I think, a derivative concept. I, I think the most fundamental notion in holiness, again, is this idea um, that God is altogether unique and that his, the way in which he possesses his attributes is infinitely beyond the way in which we might reflect those attributes. Maybe this is a good place to bring in this. Um, I don't know if you've covered this before in your discussion of the attributes, but Typically, theologians talk about the communicable attributes and the incommunicable attributes of God. Um, communicable attributes are those characteristics of God that have um, uh, some sort of reflection or expression in us. So, for example, um, knowledge. God knows all things. Well, we have knowledge, but obviously at a different level because we're finite or um, you know, other communicable attributes, uh, God's goodness, um, God is infinitely good, always good. We can reflect that goodness by virtue of his grace, but obviously in a lesser degree. And then there are incommunicable attributes, uh, and I think holiness would be preeminent among them. Another one, for example, uh, we touched on this briefly in our previous podcast, was what's called aseity, which means that God has life in himself. Uh, doesn't depend upon anything outside of himself. He is self-existent, self-sufficient. He doesn't, he doesn't derive his being or his power from anything outside of himself. We, of course, are not that in any sense of the term. We are utterly and absolutely dependent. Uh, you know, think of Paul's statement, in him we live and move and have our being. Um not, that can't be said about God in relationship to another being. Um, so holiness is, um, in the most fundamental sense, incommunicable, but in another derivative sense, communicable. I mean, that's kind of getting technical. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, holiness is incommunicable in the sense that um, God 
is his attributes to the infinite degree. There is no limitation. There is no uh, measure by which we can say God is, um, you know, 85% this or 66.5% that. He is 100% and beyond everything that he is. There is no limit to it. Um, there is no limit to his knowledge, no limit to his power, no limit to his goodness, no measure that you can place upon his justice. Um, that is, I think, is the primary sense in which we are to understand this concept of holiness, that he's set apart, he's distinct from, uh, he's altogether unique uh, when, when he's considered, uh, obviously, as we look at him and then look at ourselves. And then from that, uh, we typically derive the notion of righteousness. Again, a lot of people would equate holiness and righteousness. I, I think probably at one level that's okay, uh, because God's goodness and his purity and his commitment always to do that which is right um, is, is perfect in every respect. But I think it's only a secondary sense. So, for example, um, you know, the, we kind of have a, a merging of these two in the very famous Isaiah 6 passage, you know, where Isaiah finds himself um, in the presence of uh, the enthroned God. And by the way, it's interesting. Most, a lot of people don't realize this. In John chapter 12, Jesus refers to that incident and indicates there that what Isaiah was seeing was, in fact, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. Um, that most people think when they, when they read Isaiah 6, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of your glory, that it's just it's talking about God the Father. Well, it's actually, of course, it's God. It's, all, it's the triune God, but it's primarily a reference to God the Son, as, as John 12 would indicate. But aside from that, what, is, what are the... Um, what are the angels declaring when they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, I don't think they're primarily saying righteous, 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 hmm. or uh, good, good, good. I think they're basically saying um, we are in the presence of one who is in a class by himself. He is immeasurably, infinitely transcendent, altogether greater than other than we who are his creatures. Um, now, it is interesting that um, Isaiah's reaction to the holiness of God is the recognition of his own sinfulness. Uh, you know, he, uh, uh, he immediately says, you know, I'm, I'm coming undone. I'm, I'm unraveling, as it were, is kind of the sense of the word there, um, in the presence of, of the holiness of God. Um, and, and then he points to, he says, I am... I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And, and so the idea was this, this revelation of God's holiness suddenly did, uh, made aware in Isaiah's own experience that he is a sinful person. And that's why many immediately conclude, well, holiness means that someone is sinless. But it's more than that. Um, again, it's the, uh, it's the overall immeasurable majesty of God in the totality of who he is that I think strikes Isaiah and, and evokes that reaction in him in the way that we see it. Yeah. All right. That's a, that's a great res response to my question. Thank you. Um, on a personal note, when you, when you say the things you've just said or study the things you've studied to, to get that knowledge 
that revelation, what does it do to you on a personal level? Does it move your heart or is it more just sort of like, oh, that's good information. How do you mind me asking a personal question? Like just how does the holiness of God make you feel as a, as a man of God? <laughs> well, um, I, I kind of feel the, uh, a little bit the way Peter did in Luke five, if I can appeal to another text. Uh, you remember when Jesus instructed them to throw their nets in on the other side of the boat and they gathered in such a huge quantity and pull it in. The boat was about to sink. And um, uh, Peter basically says, uh, be, depart from me for I am a sinful man. I think, um, you know, we live, if I can kind of drive this home a little bit more personally, um, we tend to compare ourselves with ourselves or with others. And we measure our sense of value and worth and goodness in light of what we do that others don't or what we avoid that they indulge. And I think suddenly Peter was confronted with the holiness of Christ. Uh, it's interesting. He, I don't think it was the power of Jesus in and of itself that amazed him. Um, the, the mere omnipotence of God, I'm, I'm not sure what have evoked this awareness that be a, go away from me because I am a sinful man. He didn't say go away from me because I'm a weak man or because I'm an ignorant man, but because I'm a sinful man. I think he was confronted in that moment with the same thing Isaiah saw, uh, which was um, we're talking about two different uh, concepts of being altogether. We're talking about the uncaused, um, infinite, transcendent, creator of all things, by whom everything else in existence is upheld, and Peter's awareness of himself, and whatever he might have achieved, whatever, however, however much personal righteousness he may have displayed that wasn't found in the other disciples, all of that was swept away, because he saw himself confronted with the reality of who God is, and that's why he reacted the way that he did. So, um, Again, it's, it's difficult to, to put language to this. You know, we don't, have a, we don't have a specific definition of holiness. We just simply have these, these things, these texts, these passages, these encounters in which the holiness of God is manifest, and we just see the reaction of the creation, the reaction of, of a human being, which is, um, I'm unworthy to be in your presence, um, I am deservedly condemned because of my sin. Uh, I suddenly realize my limitations. I'm, I'm not as great, and as powerful, and as knowledgeable as I thought I was. All of a sudden, all the frailties, all the limitations of humanity are suddenly disclosed in a very powerful, shattering way. I mean, you talk about Isaiah's reaction, talk about Peter's reaction. Here, the other one, um, Revelation chapter one, uh, you mentioned Revelation four and five, which also says the same thing, but especially Revelation chapter one, where John has this vision of the risen and glorified Christ, and he falls down as if dead at his feet. I mean, he just, it's, it's just this overwhelming sense of, um, I, I'm out of my, not enough, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm I'm out of my league altogether. I'm, I'm in the presence of something that is 
singular. There's no one else like him. He is unique. Um, everything that I have tried to be but have fallen short, here it is in perfect and total and complete manifestation right before me. And I think it brings a sense of self-awareness. I mean, um, that, that's what I see in Isaiah and Peter's reaction. We have this, uh, we talk about people who are self-aware. They understand their strength. They understand their limitations. I don't think we have any concept of, of that until we are looking at ourselves in the light of who God is. And then suddenly the awareness of our limitations, of our unrighteousness, of our ignorance, of our frailty, of our, um, our the temporary transient nature of our life, um, how utterly dependent we are on God for every breath that we breathe, all of that comes flooding into their experience when they are confronted with the holiness of God. So it's almost as if I, I'm, I'm kind of riffing here just off the top of my head, but you know, if, if somebody said, okay, now what exactly is the holiness of God? And it's almost as if instead of trying to put words to a definition, we say it is that about God that provokes this kind of reaction in men. Right. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's very helpful, but extremely helpful. Yeah. You know, instead of, instead of trying to say, um, you know, we, we define God's grace as, you know, his kindness, his unmerited favor toward us in Jesus. But instead of trying to give a definition, uh, we say, well, I don't know how to define it, but look at how Isaiah reacted. Look at what Moses did when he was confronting the burning bush and how he fell on his face and, and uh, God said unto him, you know, take off the shoes because the ground on which you are standing is holy. Or, um, you know, any of the other revelatory disclosures, whether it's of Peter in uh, Luke 5 or, um, you know, any of the, you know, John Revelation chapter 1 or the, the seraphim, um, the angels, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the saints around the throne in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, all of those, <clears throat> I think I would say, whatever it is about God <laughs> provokes that kind of reaction in us is what holiness is. Oh, awesome. awesome. Maybe, that may be frustrating to some people, but again, that, that's, that's, that in itself helps us understand what holiness is. It's that about God in the totality of who he is, which we can't, by the way, since God is infinite, to speak about his totality, that, that in itself doesn't make sense because that sounds like there's a limit. You know, we can talk about God in terms of 80% of what he is and 100%, but if there's no limitation to who God is, attributes, then even the word totality is misleading because it, it, it connotes this idea of a certain quantity of character or being and and God is infinite. There there is no limit. Um, so again, I I'm and again, honestly, <clears throat> I'll be truthful. I didn't think about it this way when you asked me to come on and talk about holiness. This is all. This is all <laughs> to me right now as we're sitting here talking. Is I think maybe that's the best way to approach the issue. Is look at how frail human beings like you and me responded when they were given this incredible privilege of being confronted by just a, a tiny sliver of the revelation of God's holiness. Um, 
you know, you think about the Revelation 4 and 5. And I've had people who have often asked, I understand the worship. I understand throwing their crowns before the Lamb. I understand the 24 elders falling down. But what about that phrase that day and night without ceasing, they're proclaiming, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. What is it about God that not just would stir us to worship him for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, but would awaken those who are actually in his presence never to stop for a millisecond ever? Wouldn't that become boringly repetitive? Wouldn't we, uh, you know, wouldn't the, the four living creatures finally say, well, man, we've been doing this for decades, for centuries. I, I, enough's enough, for heaven's sake, you know? <laughs> Something about God that evokes and elicits an ending, endless reason for his creation to marvel at, at who he is and what he is like. So... I kind of got off preaching there for a moment, but all this is just kind of flooding into my head as we're sitting here talking. Yeah, I was I was hoping you would start preaching, man. That's that's the good stuff. And uh, you know, man, I'm with you on this. That that uh, you know, for 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 me, if I think about how loved I am by God, it, it it touches my heart. I mean, there's such a warm sense of His affection for me, and it woos me towards Him in intimacy. If I think of His goodness, I'm overwhelmed by His benefits and His blessings. Uh, I think holiness is is a different category almost altogether for me because it's it's probably the only one to some degree uh, maybe the justice or the wrath but this one certainly is the one that uh, I say awestruck I mean just just undone uh, you know again the woe is me I mean it really has a and and then if you attach which what I think is gets exciting is when you attach the word holy to all his other attributes like he's holy loving uh, you know then you're talking about a transcendent love or an uh, of a, of a other otherness of love or otherness of goodness or otherness of of, of grace or mercy, uh, you know, just attaching that word holy to all those things really, really makes a difference. And, you know, you also talk just one quick thought too. Uh, you were talking about how we just see, you know, we just, we, we can't measure his holiness. It's, we, we only see, you know, we get, we get all struck by just seeing that, you know, and, and I've commented before on, uh, I found out not too long ago that the, the word, uh, when Isaiah and Isaiah sees the, uh, you know, I saw the Lord, he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled his temple. Uh, I, I come to understand that the word train there um, is similar to the Hebrew word for hem, like in the New Testament, the hem of his garment. And so you, you see this picture of the temple. Isaiah sees it filled with the presence of the Lord, but the word he uses is only, it's actually the hem of his garment. It's not the whole train of his robe, it's just the, 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 the bottom part of it. He's just touching, you know, and so we're just touching fragments of, of holiness and yet being. Undone. And that's where the word, you know, I hate, I have like, I have four, three sons and a, and a daughter, and, and they use the word awesome for everything. You know, that's an awesome yeah. taco. Uh, you know, I had an awesome day, you know, and uh, to me, I think the word awesome should be excluded to the holiness of God. I mean, because to me, that's the best way. I mean, it is awe striking. It is, it is different. It is, it is different than any other experience I have with, with his attributes. And that's why you know, that's why I asked you how that affects you personally, because as you were talking before I asked that question, my heart was being moved, not just, you know, use the word theology a couple times, uh, which is oftentimes we think about it being in our head. But as you were speaking theologically, man, my heart was being moved. You know, it started pounding more. It's, it's, it's that, that manifest presence of God um, usually is in all those illustrations. And I would probably add Moses to that to some degree. 
as, as he sang the song, uh, the, you know, the song of Moses and the song of Miriam, and, and begins to speak about the holiness of God. And then that same song is repeated in Revelation, I think 14 or 15. And so this is yeah, song, chapter 15. 15. Mm -hmm. But sung in the beginning, you know, when God manifests himself and it's going to be sung again, this, we're going to continuously join the angels singing holy. So it certainly is a moving thing. Yeah, here's a here's another way, and um, I think that the holiness of God is reflected. Um, think about the uh, many instances throughout Old and New Testament where an angel appears to a human being, and they are, and it's not it's not like the Genesis story where the three men appeared and they came in the form of men, and they the, the, their appearance was such that it didn't unnecessarily undo. Uh, uh, the, the humans to whom they were revealed. I think, for example, of uh, the instances uh, where an angel appeared, of course, the first words out of his mouth is, don't be afraid. You know, what about the angels when they uh, announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds or the angel Gabriel that uh, uh, appeared to Mary and to, and to uh, Zacharias in Luke chapter one. And uh, people have often asked me, they said, why is it that, we who are God's creatures react with such fear and trembling um, at the appearance of another of God's creatures. And I think the answer is, is because these are God's creatures who have been in God's presence. In other words, they are reflecting in their own appearance and uh, the, the force of their presence, um, the very essence of who God is in himself. So, mm -hmm. The, the, the passage I go back to often is Daniel chapter 10, where, you know, Daniel was, um, had been mourning and fasting for 24 days. And I'm just looking at it here. And he says, I lifted up my eyes and behold, look, a man clothed in linen with a belt. And he goes on and describes this incredible, glorious, mm -hmm. transcendent, overwhelming beauty. And, and um, Daniel says, great trembling fell upon those who, who didn't even see it. This was just his presence led them to that. And then he says, um, I saw this vision. No strength was left in me. My appearance was fearfully changed. I retained no strength. I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. In other words, like, you know, I can't bear to, to even gaze upon this being. And some have tried to say that this was the second person of the Trinity, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Son of God. But the next paragraph indicates that's not the case because this very being says i was sent to you in response to your prayers and a demonic spirit the prince of uh, persia uh, resisted me so it's obvious he's talking about an angelic being right and again if people say what is the holiness of god i say well look at the reaction of human beings to another creature who's been in the presence of the holiness of god mm. and even if you don't have words to define it, you get a, a visceral type of uh, reaction to that. You say, yeah, I look at Daniel, I look at John, I look at Peter, like so many others, and I understand a little bit more about, um, about what God is. And, you know, words escape me. You know, I, I, I don't have a vocabulary to put, to define God's holiness almost is to confine it. You know, we define things because we want to put boundaries and limitations on our meaning. <clears throat> if we try to do that with holiness, we, we lose it. You can't do that. Simply because of the magnitude, God's immeasurable, infinite nature. Mm. Sam, do we have uh, 
the opportunity to uh, somewhat have the same impact that the angels do. If they're in the presence of God, uh, it seems like his presence sort of rubs off on them, if you will. Is, can that happen to us as human beings as well, uh, being in his presence? Is that happened to Moses? Happened to Moses, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> you know, he had to veil his face because he'd been, he, he'd seen the glory of God, at least to whatever extent uh, that was permissible. Um, granted, it was God put Moses in the cleft of the rock and kind of in a reverential way said, you can see my backside, my hind parts, but you're not going to see my face because if you see my face, you die. But even then, just with a very veiled um, uh, disclosure of God's glory and holiness, Moses' face was transfigured. He had to um, you know, cover himself with a veil because it terrified the people of Israel when he descended the mountain. Um, which, which raises an interesting question that's kind of related to what we've been talking about. And that's the, the, the picture in Revelation uh, 22, where it talks about in the new heavens, new earth, it says, and the people of God will see his face. You know, what does that mean? I mean will I literally, you know, granted, the face of God was revealed in the person of Christ. By face, of course, we're talking about the very essence of who God is, his personality as it's closed to us as creatures. Does he mean there simply we'll see the face of Jesus? Well, that, I mean, that obviously we know we, we know we will because God, the son is still in the human body. He's still incarnate, glorified, but he's still incarnate. So what is John saying to us when he says we will see the face of God? Um, I think it's his way of saying as as possible as it is for a finite being to behold and experience and sense the realities of an infinite being, that's what is being stated there by seeing his face. Yeah. I think it's a revelation of God's holiness in, in its consummate expression. That's going to be exciting, isn't it, to see that? Yeah. Uh, you know, with, uh, Moses sees the hind parts, uh, and because we know that God doesn't have a, human body doesn't have hands like we have hands or he may not have seen an actual like oh look at the you know he's pretty muscular isn't he it wasn't i don't think it was necessarily a physical manifestation that Moses saw and maybe it won't be uh, you know i'm like you i don't know what it'll be uh, more physical probably the more exciting it might be but uh, you know no matter what it'll be it's going to be going to be exciting um two last questions for you because i know i know you gotta go you got a lot of stuff as a busy pastor but uh what, the, uh, the first of the two. By the way, me, can I just interrupt real quick? Yeah. Thought, because I, if I don't say this, I'll lose it. Okay. Thought is uh, stated yet again in First John chapter three. You know, when when John gives this glorious statement about we are God's children now, what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And I think that what John is saying is, is when we behold the fullness of the holiness of the incarnate Christ and to whatever extent the fullness of the holiness of God himself, it will have this transforming effect. This is, this is encouraging because, you know, somebody might say, wait a minute. If I'm allowed finally to gaze upon the holiness of God, as Isaiah did, or as John did, that doesn't sound like very much fun. I'm, they fell down as dead. They just suddenly felt the weight of their sin, and, and they, they just collapsed. Is that's what's going to happen to us? And the answer is no, 
because our vision of the holiness of God is revealed in Christ will will produce in us a transformation so we will be made like unto him in terms of our moral character such that we will not be consumed by his presence. So uh, I, I'm encouraged by that. We will, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. In other words, the vision of the holiness of God will produce a transformation in us in which we will be made like unto Christ. Now, it doesn't mean we'll become gods. It just simply means that our character will be fully, finally conformed to the righteousness that we see in Jesus himself. So there's a, yeah, I say that all that because I, I don't, we don't want to leave people with this idea that when we finally are standing in the fullness of God's holiness, and we'll, we'll have an experience very similar to that that Isaiah had, it's not going to be painful like it was to him. Uh, it will be transforming. It will be, it'll be truly glorious beyond what we can even conceive or imagine. Yeah. Yeah. We see that through, uh, we see that his holiness through a glass darkly. And therefore I would imagine our reflective holiness is, 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 has that kind of darkly seen uh, reality to it. But then what you're talking about then is now, now we're not seeing through a glass darkly. We're seeing face to face. So that our transformation is that much more, profound because we're seeing him now in fullness and we're becoming more fully like him uh, as opposed to, you know, the parts, the parts that we have now. Um, right. The, the, the whole theme of this, this podcast over the past months about the attributes of God has, has started with uh, some things that A.W. Tozer was saying in his book about the attributes of God, how the, the Christendom today, the church today, preachers and pastors today, to a large degree hold, a, and I don't mean to be critical here, but I think I could say this for myself, oftentimes hold a very low view of God. Um, and maybe if there are a few attributes that are a little bit higher, it might be his goodness today. In a lot of churches, you'll go in and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll 52 Sundays a week, you'll kind of come away feeling like, oh, God's good and he's, he's kind. And uh, But holiness, uh, would, would, would you say that you feel like this attribute is maybe in lesser um, uh, vogue today, lesser yeah. spoken of today than maybe some of the other, lesser sung about uh, some of the old hymns we read from, from the earlier days uh, seem to really talk about the transcendence and the majesty and the holiness of God. Has there been a shift? And if so, uh, how do you feel about that? I think there has been uh, largely because as you said, we've kind of humanized God. We've, uh, we've diminished uh, his majesty, his splendor. Um, We're so earthbound. Um, and um, I, I think also, honestly, uh, you know, you look back over church history, we, the, the word holiness, and we talked about this at the opening of our podcast here, the word holiness has connotations to people today that I think have become distorted. And then when they project that onto God, so for example, um, you know, back in the 19th century, there was a movement that came out of Methodism called the, uh, the National Holiness Movement. And when you look at that, uh, not exclusively, not altogether, but portions of that were, oh, that means women don't wear makeup. They don't braid their hair. Um, uh, men don't uh, chew tobacco or smoke. Nobody dances. Nobody goes to a movie. Nobody plays cards. No mixed swimming. No playing of pool. And so holiness, that term, came, to uh, came about to describe um, kind of a deprived, miserable state of life in which we make sure that we're not having any fun. And so 
what happens then when we talk and turn to people? Well, I'm going to talk about the holiness of God. Say, so God doesn't chew gum or, you know, drink caffeine or enjoy anything about life. And so we've so distorted the word holiness when it comes to our experience and certain expressions of Christianity that are more legalistic in nature. Um, And then it, it makes it difficult to understand in what possible sense then would we want to say that God is holy? If, if God is holy in that sense, I don't want anything to do with it. He sounds like a killjoy. So that's part of the problem is we have, we've allowed our distortion of the term to um, distort and shape our understanding of what it means to speak of God as holy. Excellent. I agree with you hundred percent. That's so true. Uh, last question then is, um, so just the people that are going to, um, get up on Monday morning, go to work, spend Monday through Friday at work. Uh, how does a message like this, uh, if, if we're advocating for preachers to preach on holiness and for Christians mm-hmm. to study holiness and for us to get uh, enamored by the, the splendor and majesty of, of God's holiness, how will that affect your day in and day out personal life? Does it, does it change your behavior? Does it change your mind? Uh, what, what do you see that takes place? You know, you're a pastor, so you're in your congregation. What, what do you see this message impacting personally in people's lives? Well, I could probably answer that in a lot of ways. I think maybe um, the most important sense, at least for me personally, is that um, we so highly value, and especially in West, in the Western world, this idea of individualism and self-sufficiency and self-confidence and self-adequacy and self-determination and self-reliance religion that i call selfianity <laughs> and um, we um we we don't even pause when we wake up to realize that the only reason i just woke up is because god had mercy upon a hell-deserving sinner mm. an infinitely holy god who is in a class unto himself who is altogether and utterly different from me, uh, whose, whose revelation and whose will I have consciously violated repeatedly, he kept me alive. And the breath that I'm inhaling and exhaling and every beat of my heart is mercy from, an unho- from a holy God to an unholy human. And the fact that you know, the, I can walk outside and there's still ground underneath my feet and um, I can think and I can engage in my various activities is all an expression of undeserved mercy and kindness from this indescribably majestic and transcendent God that we call holy. Um, so, you know, the problem, I guess all that to say, so many of us, and I'm not just talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about believers. We just go through our days, our weeks, our months, whatever, presuming upon all of this and not conscious of the fact that, you know, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, in Christ, all things hold together. He is the, in a sense, if I can say it reverently, the cohesive glue that keeps us in existence. Um, we who are so immeasurably different from and contrary to God. And the fact that this God would, who is immeasurably holy, would impute to us the very righteousness of himself and count us as just in his sight. I mean, I, just, I could just go on and on and on. 
Um, that's, I, I don't know how anybody could function well without taking that into consideration throughout the course of every day. That's why, you know, it, it, I marvel um, at, the, at the consistent insult that the human race pays to God almost every second of every day. And then we wonder why we look around our world right now and we see pandemics and unrest and, and judgment and all these things. And, and you know, we're so, well, why, why would the God, if he's really good and powerful, treat us like this? <laughs> you know, uh, so I think a fresh dose of the holiness of God would, I think, um, be a healthy thing for us. Yeah. Wait, isn't it interesting? I know I'm not the one who originated this statement. Going back to Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The only attribute of God taken to the third power. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love it. I love it too. Yeah. I was reading uh, yesterday and uh, just first page of an introduction of a book on a a Anselm. And, uh, and, and he talks about the, 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 the infinite nature of God, that he's infinite. All of his attributes are infinite. So when you talk about holiness, it's, it's immeasurable or love is immeasurable. Then he added one point that I'd never heard before. That was, that was interesting. He said that, you know, you're almost tripling the infinite power of all these attributes because you have the father being infinitely holy, the son being infinitely holy and the Holy spirit being infinitely holy. And so, you know, it's, it's already starting, it's already immeasurable. Uh, but then you get blown away by the bringing the Trinity into this. And I know they're one, but you know, in the three persons, they each carry their own infinite holiness. And so man, it's all this stuff blows me away. And I, I think the more I look at this, it, it does affect my personal life. It, it, it shows me, as, as you said, it's, it's a communicable, uh, attribute of God. The incommunicable is like, a, I hate to say it this way, but a disease you can't catch, you know, you can't catch cancer. Yeah. Uh, so that's, so I can't catch uh, being all powerful, but I can, I can have some power communicated to me. I, I can't be infinitely holy, but I can be communicated some holy. And I think as we study God's holiness, I get communicated to me. I catch some of his holiness, uh, be, be holy as I am holy, maybe as, as much a, um, a promise as it is a command, you know, that, that as we're in his presence, we're, we're becoming holy. And I, I really do think for the, for our listeners today that, that, you know, as, as you would take this topic today and delve into yourself and really spend some time in God's presence and in his word and just on your knees, just, just asking him for this greater revelation of this, you're going to see the transformation of, of the aspects of holiness that he would impart to you, impute to you, as Sam said, into, into yeah. your own life. So, Brilliant, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. We, we, we honor you and, and uh, appreciate you, you being here with us and uh, love to have you back again. As, as much as you're available, man, we're going to have you on, okay? All right, Gary. Thanks. It's been, been a pleasure being with you. Thanks, Sam. All right. God bless. Bye-bye now. Thank you all. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.